You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. You are going to love this episode. This is a very special episode for me personally. I've got one of my virtual mentors who's now a part of my life on the show today. And he was a mentor to me long before he knew because he provided some profound insights and principles of success that I applied in my life and thus changed the results that I was seeing in my life. And I'm so grateful to have him on today to share some of these principles with you. I grew up in conditions where I didn't really see what success looked like. You know, I maybe watched Robin Leash uh, on the Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. You know, I watched shows like that and kind of see, you know, the yachts and all that kind of thing. But that wasn't necessarily what success was to me. It was uh, having a, a happy home for my family, uh, certainty, uh, a sense of love in the household, being able to get past a state where we didn't have so much month at the end of the money where we can do things that we wanted to do. I actually didn't even take a, quote, trip or get into an airplane until I was in my mid-20s. I just didn't even know what that was. I would see, like, I knew what a plane was. Like, I could look up and see the plane, the plane. But I never thought about myself being on one and going somewhere just because it wasn't a part of my reality. You know, also seeing, you know, just people struggling and, and making sacrifices just to get by, but also sometimes cutting corners and making sacrifices and hurting other people because you're trying to survive, right? So I'm coming from a place where I was around a lot of uh, survival-based living. And humans, we are here, we are very perfectly capable of surviving, but our greatest ideal is being able to thrive and not just thrive for ourselves, but then to be able to lift others up. And being exposed to these ideas was life-changing for me because I'd never seen anything like it. One of the most powerful things about our guest today, his books are actually used now in curriculum in schools, in high school. Reading, he's the, one of the things, and just will, I'll just throw this out there as a highlight, but he's a co-author of the Chicken Soup for the Soul book series, right? This personal development stories that have sold half a billion copies. That's insane. It's like, it's hard to fathom that that many actual physical books have been picked up and read by that many people. It's just absolutely crazy. Uh, but now they're being used in high school, for example. When I was in high school, I had to read To Kill a Mockingbird, right? Boo Radley, leave him alone. Leave him alone, baby. But also like Odyssey, okay? Odyssey had no context for my life and my success. And no offense to, I know there's gonna be some people that they love Odyssey, it's like they're, that's their bread and butter, that's their juice, they geek out on it. All right, they might have a they might have a tattoo of a kraken, or I'm sorry, there was cyclops in that one. They got a cyclops tattoo. No disrespect, but for me, it didn't provide a context of reality or a place that I can get to. Right, it was looking so far into the past, into this imagination, whereas the Chicken Soup for the Soul books had these stories of real people and these success principles and things that can be a guiding light, especially if you're in a situation where you're dealing with the challenge. You know, so um, man, it's just really awesome to have him on the show today. And I really can't wait to share this episode with you guys. I think that you're gonna love it so very much. And of course, a big part of this movement of personal development is a big shift that's taking place where the top entrepreneurs, people are looking at, the top people, 
in the success and personal development space, they're playing the long game. They're looking at how can I improve my health and fitness and my nutrition, including our guest today. All right, one of those ways, and even for my kids, because really where our success blueprint comes from is the way that we grow up. And of course, it can be changed at any time, but can you just imagine how much more graceful it is when you grow up with it and in your, in your environment? And so my son, Brayden, and also his best friend next door, Avery, shout out to Avery, they're huge fans of the Organifi Red Juice, right? They're switching over from box juices, and no offense, it might be 100% organic or whatever, but it's not packed with the kind of nutrition that you find in something like Red Juice. So it's giving our kids this plethora of nutrients. And when I talk about a plethora of nutrients, I'm not just saying, you know, it's got some vitamin A, this thing, but the food source, it's food source-based nutrition. So the Red Juice, it's red because it has acai, right? We're talking about an ORAC value over a thousand. That's 10 times more antioxidant than any conventional fruit that you're gonna find in a grocery store. Incredible, and we know that antioxidants help to reduce inflammation. We have these kind of reactive oxygen species that are kind of going around our bodies and snatching electrons and creating this, this kind of free radical activity. Uh, antioxidants come in and provide free electrons and essentially kind of slow down this process of accelerated aging. It's super important to get it from our nutrition, but more so when we're getting it from real foods that are clinically proven to be advantageous for the human body. It also helps your body's endogenous antioxidant systems to work better, right? Because your body's making antioxidants too. But if you're eating Cheetos, that's not gonna help your body to produce adequate amounts of glutathione, all right? If you're eating, you know, um, I don't know, uh, Mike and Ike's. I don't know why that's jumping in my mind. That was a hot candy when I was a kid. But that kind of stuff is not going to do the job. However, eating real foods, food-based nut nutrient sources like we find in the Red Juice formula from Organifi, it helps your body's own antioxidant production to do its job and to do it at a high level. So acai is in there. And also, listen to this. One of the hallmark things, and it's just taken off in popularity. You can go to like kind of conventional uh, convenience stores and see that there's beet supplements like the you know the root vegetable beets and this is because there's a study published in the journal of applied physiology showed that drinking beet juice can boost your stamina up to 16 percent during exercise and training what an edge and it's legal also they found that the test participants experienced less muscle damage and less fatigue after exercise so they recovered faster that's a really remarkable thing and it's coming from beets. And so beets are in the red juice formula as well, part of what makes it red. But there's also a little tint of the bluish hue in there too from the blueberries. And now listen to this. This was published in the Journal of Agriculture and Food Chemistry affirmed that eating blueberries increases bifidobacteria and it helps to positively modulate the diversity of overall gut bacteria. We know about the gut now. We know important that we know that health really starts in the gut. And so blueberries and the compounds in there literally help to feed healthy probiotic, you know, the friendly flora and create a healthier ratio, right? So many of us are experiencing kind of dysbiosis and blueberries, one of those things that can help to get the right cascade of bacteria in our gut. So this is just a few of the things that are in the red juice formula. Get yourself some red juice. Kids love it. Kid tested, mother approved, father approved. Go to Organifi.com forward slash model. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash model. And you get 15% off the red juice and everything they carry. 
My kids love the red juice go packs. They could just go grab, open one up, pour it in the water, shake it up, good to go. All right, so Organifi.com forward slash model. Now let's get to the Apple Podcast Review of the Week. Another five-star review titled, I Love This Podcast by Lozie Newberry. As a personal trainer for 20 years, I am constantly learning and evolving. I get so much information from Sean's podcast that I can take and share with my clients. I can honestly give wellness tips within my scope of practice on sleep, meditation, brain health, nutrition, supplements, and most of all, I just send them to this podcast so they can spend some positive time with Sean Stevenson. He has truly enhanced my life. Awesome. Thank you so much for leaving me that review over on Apple Podcasts. It means everything. And also the fact that you are being of service and helping other people and allowing me to be a part of that too. Thank you so much for the gift that you're giving and sharing your light and your energy and your experience with others. That That's how we're going to do this is all doing this together. So thank you so much. And if you've yet to do so, please pop over to Apple Podcasts leave a review for the Model Health Show. Let everybody know what you think about the show. And on that note, let's get to our special guest and topic of the day. From his earliest days teaching inner city high school students how to discover their potential and succeed no matter what their circumstances, to becoming a world-renowned transformational speaker and trainer who has conducted more than 2,500 workshops and events all over the world, Jack Canfield has devoted his life and career to helping others achieve their personal definition of success and create lives of greater joy, meaning, and fulfillment. He is the co-author of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, which has more than 250 titles and 550 million copies in print in over 40 different languages. In 2005, he co-authored the Success Principles, How to Get from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. And inside his book, Jack has collected what he asserts to be 64 essential lessons for attaining goals and creating a successful life. And now he's got a companion workbook to actually do the work, not just get the gym, but to actually implement and to do the work. And that's just one of the things we're gonna be highlighting, the importance of doing the work, but we're also gonna dive in and talk about some of these profound success principles that have had a huge impact on my life. And I think you're really gonna love this conversation with the incredible Jack Canfield. The first thing I want to ask you about really is your superhero origin story, right? I was just reading a little bit about you were born in West Virginia. Right. And I would imagine that you probably didn't grow up listening to personal development or being like <laughs> tuned into that. How did you get into this world? Well, I was in graduate school at the University of Chicago. I was learning to be a teacher of history. I was actually practice teaching for half of that year and then going to classes half of the year. Okay. And I was in the laundromat minding my own business when this guy walks in and he puts his stuff in the, you know, the, the washer and he comes over, he says, put your book down, talk to me. I go, okay. And um, turns out he was a graduate student in economics and he said, uh, we, we hit it off. Yeah. And he said, there's this living philosopher series up in Evanston, Illinois. Why don't you go with me? And I didn't have a car and I was kind of trapped. I went, okay, great, let's do it. And the first speaker we went to was this guy named Herbert Otto. He was the director of the National Center for the Exploration of Human Potential. And he said, we're only using 10% of our brain. And I went up afterwards and I said, uh, Dr. Otto, I want to use more of my brain. What should I do? He said, there's this place called Oasis. It's a growth center where every weekend they have personal development workshops. You should go take some. So I did. And then I ran out of money because mm -hmm. I was a graduate student. I was living on like... Uh, 
what was I getting? A paycheck of $120 every two weeks. So $240 a month I'm living on. I got and a 70-21-cent diet too. Like Yeah, well, at the end of the first, my first month, I had to pay a $79 rental fee for my apartment. That left me about, you know, what would that be? About $50 left over for two weeks to live on. Mm. So usually by the end of that two weeks, I'm eating spaghetti noodles, which costs like a dime, 11 cent can of contadina tomato paste, garlic, salt, and water, and pepper, and that's my dinner. Oof. And uh, today it would be ramen noodles, noodles, but they didn't have those back then. <laughs> and um, so anyway, I go, I, I go up and I run out of money, can't take any more workshops, and I start volunteering, you know, can I be assisting? And they, So I think I did like 37 workshops in 52 weeks, just... You know, wow. weaseling my way in, taking registrations, handing out tissue, whatever, so I could be in the room. I was hungry for it because yeah. I grew up, I was totally into my brain. You know, I went to a military school uh, as a scholarship student. I went to Harvard as a scholarship student. And then I wanted to make a difference, so I wanted to teach in these inner city schools. And, um, and so anyway, that's how I got involved in it. And then I met this man named W. Clement Stone, who was a good friend of Napoleon Hill, who wrote Think and Grow Rich. And they co-authored a book together. And um, he said, I want to teach kids to do this in the schools. Success is not a four-letter word. You know, they can learn to be successful. So I ended up getting hired by him to go and teach success principles, mm. goal setting, values, um, having clear affirmations and visualization, taking action, responding to feedback, having a mastermind group, you know, all this kind of stuff. And that was literally, you know, here I was, I was in my early 20s, and that's how I got into all this and never never looked back. You know, the coolest thing from that story is that you immersed yourself in that world. Totally. And so many, it's like one of the principles, you know, really of success, and so many people don't do that. They kind of like, it's like a part-time thing, you know, right. like you really got yourself into that world. I did, I did. I read every book I can get my hands on. When Stone hired me, for his foundation, a few years later, I worked for his foundation for a couple of years. He made the mistake of saying, take any workshop you ever want to take, I'll pay for it. And any books you want to buy for the library of the foundation, do it. I've read 3,000 books. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of them were paid for by W. Clement Stone. And I took lots and lots of workshops. But yeah. I was I was so hungry for it. And I think if you want to do anything, you have to immerse yourself in it. I was just right. in India. And I was there for a month, and there was a, a man who was kind of my teacher while I was there. His name was Dr. Pankaj Naram. And his teacher died at 124 years old, so his master lived that long. And his master, when he went to work with him, he, he learned to do pulses. He could literally take your pulse and within a minute tell you everything going on in your body. It's the most amazing thing I've ever experienced in my life. And when he said, I want to learn from my master, the master said, great, you know, show up. And so the first thing he did was make him wait for 10 days to see how committed he was. And mm -hmm. then he said, go clean a bathroom. And he cleaned the bathroom and he came, said, let's go inspect it. And it didn't, wasn't all that clean. And he said, how do you expect to help people clean their bodies if you can't even freaking clean a bathroom? Mm -hmm. So he got the toothbrush out and really cleaned it. But he said, you have to study with me for a thousand days. Every, every day you do what I do, eat when I eat, sleep when I sleep, eat, you know, drink what I drink, etc." And he said, you cannot learn anything if you don't devote a minimum of a thousand days to it. And we talk today, we get these books that say, you know, if you want to be a master, you've got to study 10,000 hours, yeah. you know, and that's the reality of that. Wow. So this kind of culminated, you know, that immersive experience mm -hmm. and you getting out there and teaching in the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, which is what a lot of people know you from, sure. which has, just correct me if I'm wrong, over half a billion 
Half books a billion books sold in uh, 47 languages around the world. 315 million just in China, another 100 million in India, and the rest scattered, I think about 100 million in America and the rest all over the place. You know, That literally takes my breath away yeah. because I think about today's digital economy yes. and even Justin Bieber's like videos don't get that many yeah. you know, uh, 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 views of these. Yeah. And this is a physical book. It's but so he gets empowering. more people at his concerts than I get. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got that. And then, of course, the success principles, which I have a copy right here. Yeah. Uh, this classic book, which has sold over well over a million copies yeah. as well. And what I love about this and what I love about this workbook, I, I'm serious. This is literally nugget after nugget of huge insight real truths about success mm -hmm. that are often overlooked or they're not communicated properly. And the workbook is so wonderful because as you know, like unless somebody comes to an event, oftentimes they might get the nugget, but they don't do something with it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Devin Clement Stone used to say, you know, you have to learn what you learn, you have to simulate it, but then you have to act on it. If you don't act on it, nothing happens. I think it was Benjamin Franklin said, learning hasn't really occurred until a behavior has changed. In other words, a lot of us have book knowledge, what I call having shelf esteem. You got a lot of books on your <laughs> shelf, and yeah. but you're not, you're not, you haven't changed your life. And so, what I realized after the first book came out, and after ten years of it selling, you know, several million copies around the world, is that a lot of people had read it, but they weren't doing the exercises that were in there. So we said, okay, if we were going to take a seventeen-week course and take the core seventeen principles, and say. Here's focus one week on 100% responsibility. Focus one week on clarifying your vision. One week on making sure you have a clear purpose in your life and then setting goals, using affirmations, et cetera. What happens at the end of 17 weeks, your life will be transformed. Okay. And so for a lot of people, people are afraid to go out. So now we have a lot of stuff on digital you can do, courses online that people can take, and also a book that literally you can work yourself through and um, it'll radically change your life. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And what I want to do today is to go through some of these principles. Mm -hmm. And of course, we can touch on some of the insights and inroads into sure. doing something with them. But I just want to encourage everybody to get a copy of the Success Principles Workbook and go through it because the process of taking these powerful nuggets and actually doing the exercises is completely transformative. Thank you. And you've got it broken down into these different sections. So in part one, we've got the fundamentals of success. Yes. Championships are won with fundamentals. Absolutely. You know? And the big one in this one, this one changed my life. And I'm not sure if I first heard it from you or if it's from our mutual friend, Michael Beckwith, but I heard it was either you or him said, to take, you have to take 100% responsibility for your life. That was Michael Canfield that said that. Michael, blend it together. <laughs> I love it. It's my no, stepdad. You do, you do. Because what happens is most people live their life from a place of being a victim. We believe that our world would be better if it wasn't for our parents who were alcoholics, or it wasn't for the government, or it wasn't for who's president, or the do-nothing Congress, or, you know, all these things we blame. We blame the traffic for making us late. You know, we live in L.A., or I live 90 minutes north, and you live down here. And the reality is people are always complaining about the traffic made them late. It's the same people day after day. It's called, like, leave earlier. <laughs> this is what the it's, traffic it's gonna is. It's going to be you know? there. <laughs> and so I, I have this wonderful formula that I was taught by a psychotherapist probably 35 years ago called E plus R equals O. Events plus response equals outcome. And most people, when they don't get the outcomes they want, instead of changing their response to the events of the world, they blame the event right. instead of changing their response. So two plus two is always going to equal four. 
And if you wanted a five in life, you're going to have to do a three instead of a two. And then what happens when you have something like an economic crisis or the, the coronavirus thing going on? All of a sudden, the world's doing a one. You can do your two, which you were doing, which was working really well, but one plus two now equals three. Okay. So you're going to have to up your game and do something different. And so what I've attempted to do is, well, I've actually achieved it, is I've interviewed probably 150 to 200 of the most successful people in the world in every walk of life from entertainment, sports, government, military, whatever, and said, what are those responses of the successful people? What are the thoughts that successful people think? What are the behaviors and habits of success, highly successful people? And we can learn those. They're all learnable. You know, I wasn't born any more brilliant than anyone else. I just happened to learn some principles and apply them. Yeah. And so let's take responsibility, give up blaming, give up complaining, and give up excuse making. Those are the three things that people do. I like to say, you know, that uh, when you're blaming things or complaining about things, you know, that people, have you ever heard anyone complain about gravity? You, <laughs> you never hear anyone complain about gravity. Gravity's holding me down. Yeah. Yet you see all these old people with their, their walkers, they're all bent over, but they're never going, I hate gravity, gravity sucks. <laughs> One for gravity, I wouldn't be all bent over. And the reason they don't yeah. do that is there's no option. Right. So we don't complain about things where there is no option. We only right. complain about things where there's something can be different. So, like, if, if I complain about my wife, call her the food Nazi. You know, she's like, oh, you shouldn't be eating that. You shouldn't be watching that football game. They're making, you're getting all healthy. You're sitting here having Cheetos and a beer, you know, whatever. I don't do that, actually. But you get the idea. <laughs> and so the, the, I could say my wife's a pain in the butt. Now, I have a choice. I could either say to my wife, this is my body. You take care of your body, I'll take care of mine. Or I could go look for the perfect wife who goes, honey, do you want more Cheetos? Can I get you another beer? Because that woman exists. And I couldn't complain about my wife if I didn't have that image of another possibility. Mm -hmm. So people are only complaining because they know something better exists. They see people that are happier, healthier, have more money, are taking more vacations, going to places they want to go, et cetera, have better relationships with their kids. And so it's only that that allows us to complain. So whenever someone's complaining, the only question I ask them is, what would you prefer and what would you be willing to do to get it? Mm, and that's really get off that. My staff comes to me with a complaint. It's called, what do you want? What could you do to make it happen? Maybe there's something I could do to help. No complaining. And in my company and in my seminars, if you were to come, we have these two big fish bowls. And if you complain, $10 fine. If you're late to work, $10 fine. You make an excuse about why you didn't get something done when you agreed to do it, $10 fine. You blame somebody, the printer didn't do it on time. Well, you didn't bring it to them early enough to, you know, $10 fine. So it's really critical to take 100% responsibility. And notice it doesn't say 99%. Because mm. I always ask people in my audience, I say, how many of you would like to be married to someone who is 99% committed to monogamy? <laughs> right. Because you know that there's always that little out. Right. And so you have to be, there's no outs. It's just called 100% commitment. So what do you do with the fine money? We give it to charity. I figured that. Yeah, figured yeah, yeah. That. We support about three different charities. So this is bringing up a huge conversation. Um, I, I don't, th if there was like a kind of an anti-success method, it would be like the complain your way to success. Yeah, method, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it just doesn't exist. Right. You know, and you mentioned in the book, you said specifically that excuses steal your future. Exactly. And this is like so many of us are like ready with our excuses yeah. and not ready with solutions. And I literally, even with my team, it's just like when you bring me a problem, bring a solution with you. Yeah, I do. If you bring me a problem, bring me three possible solutions. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, because because they will probably work. Yeah, but it's like it's it's switching start over. Start thinking that way. Start yeah. thinking solution oriented. Absolutely, yeah. so powerful. So, and just to share this really quickly, but the reason that this was transformative for me is I could relate to it so much because mm-hmm. I wasn't taking responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was twenty years old, I was dealing with some tremendous health issues, and I was pointing the finger. I was like, "They won't help me." You know, the doctors, my family, all this stuff. I'm pointing the finger, but I at no, no point did I think about what I can do differently. Right. And when that switch flipped in my mind that it, this is my body, my life, kind of like you and, you know, the Cheeto example, like mm-hmm. you take care of yours, you take care of mine. But this was in a healthy way. And mm-hmm. I realized that no one else walks in my shoes and I have to take complete responsibility. No more excuses, no more Absolutely. finger pointing. Not to say that bad things didn't happen. Right. That's the, that's the clarification. Can you talk about that a little bit? About bad things happening? Yeah, because, you know, when the negative oh, yeah. situations no, come there's up. Al- yeah. There's always going to be bad things happening. You know, you're going to fall off the ladder. You're going to you know, your the job disappears, technology takes over, things happen, your plane gets delayed, all kinds of stuff happens. The issue is how do you respond to that? Exactly. You know, exactly. and um, certainly, you know, I've, I've been divorced, I've had diseases that I've had to deal with, etc. you know, challenges, breaking my leg, skiing, and so forth. And then it's called, well, what was I doing? I wasn't paying attention, you know. Like for me, I literally have transformed my diet in the last year in a major, major way. You know, it's much more plant-based. I haven't had animal protein for at least a couple of months. And I feel much healthier. I've lost about 17 pounds in the last 40 days. Um, And, you know, the old thing about when you point to someone else, well, they don't make it easy in the restaurants or it's hard when you travel or the airlines don't do it. There's always three fingers pointing back at yourself, you know, and that's where it is. People will say, well, I got cancer. I'm not responsible. And I'll say, well, do you live near an EMF transmitter? Do you wear, I wear this EMF device that keeps me, my, my, my whole body balanced and keeps all the EMFs out of here. We're probably a lot of Wi-Fi in this room. Oh, yeah. Do you eat an alkaline diet? Do you uh, do a, a, a fast on some kind of regular basis? Are you exercising? You know, all these things. And they go, no, no, no. Well, they say, well, I didn't know about that. I said, well, whose responsibility is it to know about it? Do you ever read the manual of your car? So when your car breaks down, you go, I didn't know I was supposed to rotate the tires. Or do you take responsibility? Because this is a rental car you have for life. I want to stick around as long as possible. Yeah. And you are how old right now? 75. 75 out here killing it. Like, I have the feeling that you are you've kind of just getting started. Like you've got so much more in front of you. I do. Okay. Yeah. I do. Seventy five so awesome. years so young inspiring. is what I like to say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and also, you know, having on incredible folks like Dr. Mark Hyman, and looking at, you know, we have our chronological age, but then we have our biological age. Right. And you are clearly much younger than what the calendar might say. Absolutely. You know. Yeah. And it's a big part of this is the way that you think and the way that you live your life. And I so, think it's yeah. a lot about what you put in your body, but it's also about what you put in your mind. One of the things yeah. I worked on very hard was forgiving everyone I ever had resentment toward. There was a shaman in in Hawaii who basically said to a friend of mine who was diagnosed she was going to die. And he put her on a on a on a massage table and he said, "Okay, go back one week. Who do you need to forgive?" And she was on that massage table for six hours, going back mm. year by year by year by year, all the way back till she was like six years old. And one week later, whatever she had, it was supposed to kill her, was gone. It wasn't on her body anymore. And so it's not just the biochemical stuff we put in our body. It's also the vibrations of our thoughts that are so important. Absolutely. Absolutely. And these are the topics. You've said many things that we've talked about on the show, but you know, our thoughts create chemistry in our bodies and yeah. it's incredibly powerful. And one of the things that... Uh, you also highlight here is one of the principles. There, and again, 
there's so many and they're all so poignant and touching and powerful. Thank you. But I want to cover these specifically. Sure. In the success equation, another one is to decide what you want. Yes. So using your mental energy to decide what you want. Why is that so important? Well, let me go back to my experience in India with this wonderful teacher. He said, he said there's three things you need to know if you want to be successful. Number one, what do you want? Number two, how do you get it? Number three, how do you enjoy it once you have it? He said 95% of people do not have a clue about what they really want. They've been conditioned to want stuff that doesn't really fulfill them, what I call the symbols of success rather than the experience of success. So they have the car, the house, the designer suits, whatever, but they're not really experiencing that inner peace, contentment, fulfillment that they want. Number two, do you know how to get it? Well, that's why I wrote these books, the Success Principles Workbook, so forth, is that most people have not been taught how to get it. Think about, it. you know, you went to school, high school, you went to college, I imagine, and was there ever a course on Success 101? How Absolutely to get, not. How to Capture Your Dreams 101? I would have taken it. Yeah, Achievement Motivation 101. I would have taken it, too. And so we're teaching kids things they don't need to know. Like, when's the last time you needed to know the three causes of the Civil War or the five exports of Brazil? A absolutely never. Never, exactly. And so the things we need, what I call self-science education, how do you educate yourself about yourself, yeah. we're, we're missing. So most people don't know how to get what they want, even if they knew what they wanted. So only 5% know what they want. Of those 5%, only 2% know how to get it, mm. and only 1% know how to enjoy it once they get it. Think mm. of all the billionaires you've heard of, yeah. the Harvey Weinsteins of the world that just got sentenced to 23 years in jail. You know, they're not enjoying their life. You've got all these people that are drugged out in Hollywood who are super successful by the outside standards, but they're not happy, they're committing suicide, they're having affairs, they're you know, doing lots of drugs, et cetera, to try to numb out the pain. And so we have all these wonderful rehab centers, half of Malibu, it's a right. rehab center, so, you know. There's a, quite a few. Yeah. So it, it, it's that I want everyone to be in the 1% club. You know, my commitment is to end suffering and to help people, to inspire them and empower them to live their highest vision in a context of love and joy. So the Chicken Soup books were about inspiring people. The Success Principles books are about empowering people to have exactly what they want and how to get it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to just circle back really quickly sure. because I don't want to overlook how powerful um, forgiveness is, Yes. you know, I, I didn't drill down a little bit more and it's just, just kind of been yeah, talking sure. in my ear a little bit, but you mentioned this being in this particular instance, something to help somebody to heal. Mm. Um, it's part of that equation of taking responsibility for our lives and, and not making excuses because things happen to us. People might've done us wrong, but us care. And I know that's something you talk about, but us carrying around that resentment is dragging us down and keeping us from being successful. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Well, resentment is like having the emergency brake on on your car. You know, you're, you're, it's dragging you, it's holding you down. And the, the truth is that what I finally got to after years and years and years of this work is that there's really nobody to blame. There's nobody that really did us wrong. They were just doing the best they could to meet some need they had, some gang member who steals your car. He's trying to impress his friends to allow him to be in the gang so that he has a place to belong. Everyone has needs to belong. Everyone has a need to impress their girlfriend, to, to be loved, etc. And so if you don't have the skills, basically you're gonna do the best you can with the limited awareness and skills and knowledge you have to meet some basic need. So I'm doing that right now, but I have more awareness, more skills than I had 20, 30 years ago. Problem with our prisons is we're not teaching people new skills and awarenesses. We're basically punishing them. And the only 
only new skills they're learning are from each other about how to be a better burglar, a better drug dealer, a better tattoo artist, whatever it might be in, while they're in prison. So when I forgive, I don't condone your behavior, but I simply give for myself to let go of this thing I'm holding on to. I had a woman come up to me at an evening workshop I was doing a number of years ago, and she said, it's just not right. I said, what? She said, my sister, my father. I said, what happened? When my father died, he left my sister twice as much money as me. It's just not right. It's just not right. And I had studied Byron Katie, you know, your thoughts are the things that make you miserable. And I said, well, how do you know it's not right? You know, and we went through that. She, she wouldn't get off it at first. I said, so when did your father die? She said, 15 years ago. I said, so for 15 years, you've been carrying this around. I said, how often do you think about it every day? She said, I don't know, six or seven times at least, you know. And I said, well, who's making you miserable every day? Your father did it once with the writing of a pen. You're doing it six times a day. Who's the worst abuser? For 15 years. For 15 years, you are, you know. And she finally got it. It took us about a 10-minute conversation after I'd done this little seminar. But so many people are carrying that around and not letting go. And so when I forgive, I'm letting go of all this resentment. Because in order to resentment, you know, when we get angry, what do we do? We grab someone like this and we hold on tight. Yeah. And like, my hands are not open to it. They're not available to receive the new things. You know, if I'm holding on to this, you can't pick up my book and give it to me. I got no way to hold it. Right. So I have to let go in order to let the new in. Mm, wow. Um, so just going back to this profound understanding that we have to decide what we want. Mm. Why is it that we don't do that, Jack? Like, why do we not give ourselves permission to want what we want? I think it's a combination of things. I think a lot of it's the conditioning we got as a kid. You're not smart enough. Um, your brother's the athlete. You're this thing. You know, your sister got the singing talent. You didn't. You know, whatever. Uh, kids tease us. What'd you do with the money? What money? The money they gave you for singing lessons, you know? And all of a sudden, <laughs> we think we can't do that. Yeah. Um, we have a bad year in school and we decide we're stupid. You know, most kids, I was a self-esteem expert for many years. Most kids by the age of the fifth grade, they've decided if they're smart or dumb, athletic or not, attractive or not, good friend or not, mm. you know, scientifically oriented or not, musical or not, whatever. And then it sticks with them. So we make up these beliefs. Most of the work I do with people now, not most of the work, but one of the core pieces of work I do is belief change. And what we found is that most people between the ages of three and eight have made major belief decisions that are now still controlling them. Mm -hmm. Like they've decided I'm not enough. I, I can't ask for what I want. I recently got in touch with something in, a, in, a, in an experience where I realized at the age of pre-verbal, I was a baby. My parents, when I would cry, my dad couldn't stand my crying because he was real macho and it basically stimulated his tears, which he didn't want to feel. So he would put me out in the car and tell my mother to come in and leave me there until I stopped crying. And so here I learned very early, don't cry, because it's not gonna get you anything. Mm. Being yourself and asking for what you need, whether it was changing the diaper or holding me or feeding me, doesn't work. So very early I had to learn to be manipulative and be something other than myself to get what I wanted. And so all along people are making these decisions that I'm not okay, I can't do this, etc. And so we've got to go back and re-decide that because once we made that decision, we forgot we made it. So now it's unconscious. I'll give you one example of someone in a workshop not too long ago. I'm writing a book with a woman named Lise Janelle, and this was her client. And, and what happened was she was a great athlete, and every time she practiced, 
she got great times. Then she'd compete, and she wouldn't get as good a time as she did when she was practicing. And normally people do better in competition. So by having her go back to the earliest time she could remember this sense of whatever it was where she was stuck, she ended up back and she said, oh my God, I'm 10 years old. Well, where are you? I'm talking to my mother. What's happening? I'm saying, mom, how come all my ribbons, all my trophies, all my medals, you never display them anywhere like all the other kids' moms do? Every time you bring a medal home, it makes your brother feel bad because he's not as good as you. Mm. And she decided at the age of 10, every time I win, I hurt people I love. And then she forgot she made that decision, but unconsciously, some part of her didn't want to win because it's going to hurt someone she loves. Once she realized that and let go of that, she was able to go and say, okay, now I can win. I realize I'm not going to hurt my brother. That's his issue to take care of himself and his own feel good. And so we all have these limiting beliefs that are subconscious that we have to surface and release. And I think there's a lot of unworthiness where people feel I'm unworthy of love. People that have had abortions, they feel often if they were teenagers, there's still this sense of I did something wrong, I'm guilty, I have to suffer. Um, and I think that a lot of times people literally just don't know what they want because they've been so conditioned to want this. You're, I had a client, three generations, everyone was a doctor. All the brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, doctors. This guy didn't want to be a doctor. He wanted to be a car mechanic. And so he ended up being an anesthesiologist, which is interesting, because what do anesthesiologists do? They numb out your feelings and put you to sleep. And then he developed migraine headaches. And when we went back through the headaches to what was going on, he went back to that decision that he became a doctor when he didn't want to. He stopped being a doctor, opened a garage for exotic cars, and now he has no headaches anymore. Wow. So yeah. powerful. So powerful. Um, you know, something that really jumped out with me is, you know, in this conversation of deciding what we want, mm -hmm. we have to get to a place, and this is what I want to ask you, is in the book, can people look forward to, if they've had issues on figuring out what they want, is yes. there, okay, they can. let's talk about that. They can. Um, well, there's all kinds of exercises in the book to really get you clear about what you want, what are your beliefs to tell you you yeah. can't have what you want. There's some obvious questions that a lot of us ask in this work, like if you had uh, you know, $10 million and you never had to work, what would you do? You know, if God came down and said, okay, you know, there's, you'd never have to do anything you don't want to do, what would you do? There's a thing called a joy review. Go back to the times in your life you felt the greatest joy. What were those? For me, they were always when I was a teacher. I was in military school. I was the captain of the freshman company where you had to teach everyone how to do right shoulder arms and left face and forward march and all that because I was a natural. I was the head of my high Y group in church. I was the head of my Boy Scout troop. I was been president of my fraternity, except I had a beard in college back when it wasn't cool to have a beard. So they made me the vice president because they wanted to send me to the national convention. I taught high school. I taught teachers. So I'm happy when I'm teaching. Yeah. You know, so then I, I'm clear, I just want to be the best teacher I can and teach the millions of people to do what, what I do. And now I've now created the Train the Trainer program where we've trained, I think now, 3,500 certified teachers in 107 countries are teaching this work. Yeah. And that's very fulfilling for that's me. That's awesome. That's awesome. So that's what <clears throat> we can look forward to with the Success Principles Workbook is uncovering these things for ourselves. Yes. But another principle is we have to believe that it's possible. Yes. So when we decide we want, we have to actually believe that it's even possible. Now, beliefs are, there's two levels of dealing with beliefs. One is beliefs are a choice. You can literally choose right now to believe that you can have anything you want. It's simply a choice. Most of us are choosing unconsciously. We're choosing based on our conditioning. So it's, it's difficult, it's challenging to make a choice in the face of a habit. 
you know, like I always ask people when I'm doing a seminar, I say, fold your hands, notice which thumb's on top. Now, unfold your hands and move all your fingers up so the other thumb's on top. How does that feel? Everyone goes, it's uncomfortable, it's awkward, I don't like it. Go back. How's that? Comfortable. Okay, everything I'm asking you to do is going to feel like this. Mm. It's going to feel like it's the wrong way. Mm -hmm. But you have to sustain it. It's being courageous and consistent and persistent that allows you to succeed. And so we can study what are the beliefs of successful people. You know, one, one of the stories I love to tell is sometimes it's not what you don't know that gets you in trouble, it's what you think you know that's not true. Like women can't become president or a black person couldn't become president of this company or whatever it might be. And I tell the story about this guy named Cliff in Australia who was a sheep farmer and he wanted to run a marathon. And he looked at all the races there were, none of them were available when he was available. And the only race that was available when he was available was this uh, six and a half day race. It was like, you know, 575 kilometers, something like that. And uh, he'd never won a race before, but he said, oh, I can do that. He goes over and he registers and they said, um, you want to run this ultra marathon that's like six and a half days? Have you ever run a marathon? No. A 10K? No. What makes you think you could do this? Now he's dressed in overalls like a farmer, mm -hmm. T-shirt, baseball cap, sunglasses, and work boots. Work boots, not Nike running shoes. And they were afraid he was going to have a heart attack and die because he was in his 60s. So anyway, they finally let him run, and he starts running. Everyone else is like taking off like really fast runners like you'd expect. And he's kind of doing what they call the Cliff Young shuffle, like this. Yeah. And what happens is he had a secret. Nobody knew he had this secret. The secret was he didn't know that you're supposed to sleep when you run a six-and-a-half-day race. So he was behind for the first two days. He was so far behind, no one... He never caught up to anyone saying, go to get six hours sleep. On the third day, he passed everybody. They were all asleep. And he ran nonstop for six days, broke the record by 12 hours. And the secret was he didn't know you were supposed to sleep. So basically, a lot of us have beliefs about how much sleep you need, what you have to eat, what's not possible for someone like you. If you're a black lesbian with two kids from Alabama, you can't possibly do this. Not true. And so... You know, one of the things I loved about doing the Chicken Soup books was finding stories of people that you'd never think could have accomplished what they did, yeah. and they did, yeah. you know. And so I think you have to just choose, I can do this. And then what? Then the other thing you have to do, as I said, is you have to do some exercises like we have in the book, and also people can literally come to my website. I do these free calls sometimes for like a 1,000 people at a time where I take them through this process where we go back to find the limiting belief and where it started from. And we'll clear like 980 limiting beliefs in an hour and a half. And then all around the world just did three of those in January. So next, I have to ask you about this because for a lot of people, um, you know, chicken soup for the soul was a phenomenon. Yes. But you becoming like a personal brand and an entity uh, in and of yourself and mm -hmm. kind of branching out and, and having the success principles take off. Uh, this was a big result of that personal branding was from you being in the movie The Secret. Yes. And in the book, of course, you talk about this topic to use the law of attraction. Why is this a principle that we need to focus on? Well, I think the law of attraction is only one of the things you need to focus on. A lot of people think I just kind of decide what I want and give it to the universe. And I think occasionally that, that works, that happens. But most of the time, the universe has given you something back, like an inspiration to take some kind of action, like go to this Starbucks instead of that Starbucks, or to you know write this book, or to start your podcast, or whatever it might be. So there are actions that you need to take, 
I always like to say the word action is the last part of the word attraction. So the law of attraction includes action in it. Mm -hmm. And but the belief that the universe has my back, the universe is on my side, that the world is set up with a bunch of rules that actually work. I like, you know, what Michael Beckwith, who's a good friend of both of ours, says, you know, the first stage is we think we're a victim. Why, God, are you doing this to me? Second stage, you realize, well, there are some rules. If I play by these rules, these laws, the law of attraction, law of compensation, all things like that, that life works better. Wow, when I visualize my goals, they actually help come true. When I take action, when I ask for feedback, when I persevere, and, and when I pray, and when I be generous, have gratitude, and so forth. And so then you're in what he calls the manipulative stage. We're manipulating the universe based on the laws. And then one day you wake up and say, well, after all these laws, who made those laws? Is there something, is there a higher power? Maybe I should surrender to that instead of my ego. And then eventually you start doing not my will, but thy will. And the last stage that he talks about, and I agree, is I would call it the enlightenment stage, is you realize you are God. Just like a drop of water is not the entire ocean, but it is ocean. And so you get to the place where, like some of these people I, I met in India, I was in India, guy's wearing a T-shirt, says, put your hand out. I put my hand out. He doesn't do anything other than put his hand on top of mine. Goes like this and drops mala beads into my hand. Perfect mala beads, 108 beads with a little end bead. And I went, whoa. I said, how'd you do that? He said, well, I've learned to do that. That's a power I've developed. I can manifest anything. And so you realize that he's now a god, in a sense. Not the god or all the god, but, you know. A part of. A part of it. So we all have these stages we go through. I think my books are probably mostly second level, how to manipulate the universe to get what you want, and then how to surrender to the higher power. So you're getting your guidance for what you're wanting to manifest in the world from a higher place, but then using the laws the, the techniques, the principles in the book to actually manifest that and make it happen. It's remarkable. Um, there's, again, there's so many different things I want to talk to you about, but we definitely need to dive in and talk about some of these other sections in the book. We've got Transform Yourself for Success. We're going to talk about transformation and we're going to do that right after this quick break. So sit tight and we'll be right back. Today, we're in the midst of a new revolution with our understanding of food. We used to just be focused on this macronutrient paradigm. Proteins, fats, carbohydrates. Carbohydrates and proteins got a pretty good name, but fats were drugged through the mud. Why is that? Because it's called fat, all right? The name implies something different than the other two. Because when we hear the word fat, we think about fat on our bodies. Fat in food and fat in our bodies are two totally different things. And it's like thinking, if I eat blueberries, I'm going to turn blue. When you think that eating fat is going to turn you fat. It just doesn't work like that. And any of those three macronutrients can actually put fat on your body if you eat too much or the wrong types. Healthy fats, which I'm proposing that we start to call lipids or even energy, are incredibly important for every single function in your body. Your cells, every single cell in your body, we have upwards of 100 trillion cells that make you up require fats to just maintain the integrity of your cell membranes. We're talking about the thing that holds your cells together and enables your cells to communicate. It's very important. Also your brain, your brain is mostly fat and water. This is why fats are so important. When you're deficient in fats, especially the right kinds of fats, 
you can see some big issues. So in order to address that, some of my favorite things today are MCT oils. And specifically, if we look at emulsified MCT oils that actually taste amazing. And these are medium chain triglyceride oils that are extracted from things like coconut or palm. And these medium chain triglycerides have a thermogenic effect on the body, which means they are able to positively alter your metabolism. All right, that's number one, thermogenic effect from MCT oils, positively altering your metabolism. Number two, MCTs are more easily absorbed by your cells. So unlike conventional food of any type that has to go through a pretty arduous process of digestion, turning that food stuff into you stuff, MCTs are able to go directly to your cells and provide almost instant energy. And number three, MCT oils are very protective of your microbiome. There's so much research today about the importance of having a healthy microbiome and the integrity of our gut. MCT oils are one of those things that help to support that because they're especially effective at combating viruses, parasites, bacteria. There's so much goodness that is able to be found in these MCT oils, but you wanna get the good stuff. And for me, that's why I go to onit.com forward slash model. That's O-N-N-I-T.com forward slash M-O-D-E-L to get the emulsified MCT oils, which is like a coffee creamer. These are great to add to your coffees and teas, smoothies and things like that to get in a little bit of extra flavor plus all the benefits of MCT oils. They're easy to stir so you don't have to throw everything into a blender just to get a nice coffee drink, but also they taste good and they make the process of being healthy, fun and enjoyable. So head over, check them out. They've got vanilla, coconut, cinnamon swirl, and strawberry. It's one of my favorites. So go to onit.com forward slash model for 10% off your entire purchase, not just for the MCT oil, but all of the health and human performance supplements that Onit carries and all of their fitness equipment, gear, and so much other cool stuff. All right, head over there, check them out, onit.com forward slash model. Now back to the show. All right, we're back and we're talking with New York Times bestselling author Jack Canfield about his new workbook, which is a companion to the Success Principles. It's called the Success Principles Workbook. You need to get your copy like yesterday. All right, it's available right now. And before the break, we were talking about um, getting clear about what we want. We were talking about taking responsibility. Mm -hmm. But another principle before we move on to the next section here, I wanted to ask you about is this concept of success leaves clues, right? Success leaves clues. So I think a lot of times when we're deciding what we want, it's just a big question like, how am I going to make this happen? How do I figure mm -hmm. it out? And oftentimes there are people that have already figured it out for you. Well, success leaves clues was a quote Tony Robbins said it once, I've read it somewhere, and I thought that's really so true, is that everything you want to do, with very few exceptions, like going to the moon for the first time, you know, creating the Tesla automobile for the first time, uh, someone's already done it. Mm -hmm. And they've left clues. They've left books, like you know, all these books that you and I read, people have left clues about how to be better marketers, how to sell stuff online, how to be a great podcaster and do video blogs, how to you know, do, I just got a book the other day, someone sent me about how to do yard sales and get rich from it. It's like, it's, everything's out there. Yeah. You know, you want to make money in real estate, there's 59 books on how to do that. There's TED Talks, there's TEDx Talks, there's master classes online now. I mean, they're amazing, so much information. And, and the other thing is, ask people who've already done it. Like a story I often tell, down in Dallas, Texas, doing a TV show for the first Success Principles book, 
in the morning and I'm getting my makeup put on in the green room. And I asked the woman putting my makeup on, I says, what's your dream? I always ask that of people. She says, oh, my dream, I want to own my own hair salon. I said, great. What are you doing to make it happen? She said, nothing. Mm. I said, that's a terrible strategy. That's not <laughs> going to get you what you want. And she said, well, I don't know what to do. I said, I have a radical concept for you. She said, what's that? I said, why don't you go find someone who owns a hair salon and ask them how they did it? And she went, wow, that's a mm. good idea. You know, like, why wouldn't that occur to somebody? Yeah. You know, you want to go to the moon, find out who already went to the moon, you know? So basically, I just say there's nothing that you probably want to do, whether it's make a million in real estate, have your own TV show, become a best-selling author, that someone hasn't written about it, runs a workshop on it, or is available as a mentor. You know, there's so many people, retired business people, like through the SBA and, you know, things like that, who are bored out of their gourd that would love to advise and support younger people to be successful. Yeah. We just have to ask. Yeah. Ah, oh, so good. And this today, and this is something you can really speak to because you were there uh, when there were, there was just a library you can go to. Right. right. Today we have instant access at our fingertips. You had to go to the library, go to the catalog. Yep. And Dewey, then Dewey Decimal System. Go through stuff and then yep. go there and hope it was going to be on the shelf. Yeah. You know, now you can access every book in the world yeah. by internet. It's incredible. Oh There's God. so much information available. But you have to. You, I I would say also though I've made one mistake in my life. I read too many books in the beginning and I wasn't putting them into action. Mm. And so if I was to do it again, I'd read fewer books read my underlines again after I underline, because I underline yeah. a lot. And then I would pick five or six things and actually do them. Yeah. And so the workbook is really like, let's do this stuff. Let's not just read it and spout it off and be able to quote people and sound intelligent, but let's do the work so we get to the other side of the, the goal, get to where you want to go. That's a huge gem you just dropped on us. Like That might be the biggest takeaway from this episode. You just shared the biggest mistake. You just said it. The yeah. biggest mistake in your life is to read less and apply more. Well, the biggest mistake I made was to read more and apply less. But right. but the way to say it, the, what I want you to do is, I think it, reading's important. Absolutely. If you're not yeah. a reader, then at least be a listener viewer, because there's yeah. a lot of good stuff out there that you can learn. Um, yeah, I learn something every time I watch Oprah's Super Soul Sunday. There's yeah. like little nuggets of, like, oh, I could do that, I could think that way. But do the work. Yes. You know, one of the big transformations in my life was Byron Katie's work, you know, the four questions and a turnaround. And I heard the tape of it, and I thought, this is brilliant. And I actually did the work. It's called The Work. Yep. And she says, you've got to do it for several months before it kind of Velcros into your system. So the same thing's true with what I teach about affirmations, visualization, taking action, so forth. And in the book, then when we have these things, then you say to act as if. Act as if. What does that mean? Act as if means you start acting as if you already have the thing you want. You start acting as if you already are the thing you want to become. I tell a story in the book about uh, when I used to live in Pacific Palisades in LA, I used to go to the Wells Fargo Bank, and there was a bank teller who had a little kind of string tie, you know, with a little cowboy thing, and he never quite looked like he was a bank manager. And the guy next to him, always dressed in a suit, looked like a bank manager. Yeah. Two years later, the guy in the suit's the bank manager, you know, he's mm -hmm. taking loans and all that. So he started acting like he was a bank manager long before he became one. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember when I bought my first suit, I bought something. Today, I don't wear suits that much because we live in California, we don't have to. But when I was living in Chicago, I bought a suit that was a little more expensive than I probably could afford, but I knew I wanted to look the part. Mm -hmm. I wanted to start being that person. 
a lot of people, they don't tie, they don't give money back because they think, well, I'll do that when I'm rich. No, if you could take 10% of your money and give it, you got to do it when you're starting out. So you act as if you're already abundant. Nobody tips somebody if they don't, if they feel poor, they tip them if they feel rich. So simply by tipping somebody, I'm saying I have enough. I have abundance in my life. Mm -hmm. Start acting with gratitude. Start dressing the certain way. Start being happy. You know, how would you be? Like I do an exercise in my workshop, two of them. One is called the Millionaire Cocktail Party. So I ask everyone to stand up and pretend you're a millionaire. And if you're already a millionaire, pretend you're 10 times your net worth. Now go around and interact with everyone as if you're this millionaire or multimillionaire. Everyone's different. Hey, how you doing? Just came back from the Cayman Islands, blah, 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 blah. Here's my yacht. I did this. We traveled. And I said, stop after maybe 15 minutes. How do you feel? Amazing. Now, were you different? Yeah. How were you different? I was more confident. I had more energy. I was more generous. I was more present to people. Now, what changed? Nothing but the belief mm. that you were already a millionaire. You didn't have any more money, but you acted differently because of your belief. Okay. And that's the kind of belief when you act that way that actually produces people wanting to be with you and play with you and give you the, you know, play with you to be a millionaire. Because people want to play with people that have up energy. They want to play with people that are confident. They want to play with people who are certain. Certainty sells. You've probably heard that. So then I had to do another thing called a come as you'll be party. So at the end of our workshop, we have a two-hour cocktail party where everyone comes in costume, meaning like if you're going to be uh, getting a Nobel Prize, show up in a tuxedo, uh, have your mock Nobel Prize with you. If you just uh, won the you know, Oscar, get one of those Oscars you can buy at the L.A. airport, you know, that are like just made out of plastic. Uh, we had one woman, she wanted to interview people on a red carpet. She actually rented a red carpet and got a mm -hmm. camera guy to come out. Everyone coming into the party, she interviewed them as if they were coming into the Oscar Awards. And, you know, have your best-selling book. Just make a mock cover, put it around there, talk about it. I can't stop that party. I want them to go in and have dinner after that at 8 o'clock, and nobody wants to go. They're having mm -hmm. too much fun. And within two to three years, almost everything that they acted as if, they have. It's, it's phenomenal. Remarkable. It's the most powerful way to create what we call co cognitive dissonance or this, this um, so you have your belief about what's possible and then you have your current reality. And if I keep believing this, it creates a structural tension between the belief and the reality. So I want to heighten that structural tension. Advertisers do us to it all, all the time. Imagine yourself behind the wheel of this car. Yeah. Or what do they do? If you come in and test drive a new Porsche, we'll give you a free toaster. Now I've test driven my new car. I get back in my old car. My old car was fine until, oh, I like that Porsche a lot better. Mm, right, so yeah. we want to purposely use what people do to sell us stuff we don't need to impress people we don't know <laughs> to actually get what we want. Yeah. And that's the way you do that. Use the power for good. That's brain entrainment. It is brain entrainment, yeah. yeah. So it's so remarkable because we really operate from the way that our brains are wired up. It's difficult to try to yes. fight against it. Yes. And so... And also there's a statement that in neurology that neurons that fire together, wire together. Yes. And so these connections are not necessarily easy to break, right. but it is much easier to build new ones. And as those are firing, the other ones can kind of start to, you know, uh, dwindle away a little bit. Yeah. And so proactively acting as if is one of the most, for me, even healing, you know, even mm -hmm. going through a process of getting better, seeing yourself as that person yes. and, and starting to let go of the fear of, you know, the pain or the injury as much as you can. You know, and it just even immediately it starts to change the, the chemistry in your body. You yeah. know, you start to produce new uh, neurotransmitters and hormones. It just helps you to feel better. And when you feel yeah. better, it's easier to be that person. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I'm remembering my father-in-law when my, my, my youngest son was about two. He 
fell and hurt his leg and he started limping and crying. And my father-in-law said, Christopher, show me how you used to walk before you fell. And he walked perfectly. Mm, and he right. said, keep doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Powerful. Yeah. Just yesterday, you know, the kids were out in our neighborhood, you mm -hmm. know, riding bikes and, you know, somebody fell and they're just like, it's so extra, especially like they're looking for you. Like, where are you at? So yeah. you can see my pain. Yeah. But, you know, he just got up and walked it off. If you you're know? not there to, to go like, oh, my God, blah, blah, yeah. you know, they just they, they, they just get up and walk away. Exactly. So this is really a pulling just that's just section one, you know, but mm -hmm. going into part two a little bit and we'll just touch on a little bit more here. Uh, transform yourself for success. There's a, a quite a few powerful principles here, but I just want to talk about a few of them. Um, one of them is to drop out of the ain't it awful club and surround yourself with successful people. Right. Well, Jim Rohn, who's one of our great philosophers of success, once said, you're the average of the five to 10 people you spend the most time with. And we've, we've, we've done research on that. Like the A students in school hang out with the A students, the B students hang out with the B students, the gangbangers out with the gangbangers, the goths hang out with the goths, the hippies hang out with the hippies, etc. And so basically, if you want to be successful, hang out with successful people. You know, like just to give you an example, in my own life, there was a guy named Lou Tice who's since passed away, but he was doing the work I wanted to do at a very high level. I had this thing called the Pacific Institute, teaching people about goal setting and visualization. He was making $8 million a year. At that time, I was making about $140,000 a year. So I said, I got something to learn from him. So I called him up and I said, Lou, if you ever come to L.A., I want to be your chauffeur. So instead of hiring a limo, let me drive you around. All I ask is I can ask you questions. I'm probably in my late 30s, early 40s at that point. And so one day he calls me up and he says, Jack, you mentioned that I, I'm going to come to L.A. I'm giving a talk at a country club, pick me up at the airport, take me to the hotel, take me to the country club, back to the hotel. So I, I pick him up. I drill him with questions. He's very open, answers all the questions that I have for him. And about a year later, we both bid for a contract for the L.A. Unified uh, School District uh, or L.A. County of Office of Education, and they were wanting to have an orientation program for people on welfare to train them to go to work. And up at that time, their orientation program wasn't working. 85% of the people went through orientation, never showed up for job training. Mm. That was called a failure. Absolutely. So we both bid on that. It was a $750,000 contract, and I won. And Lou lost. We were the last two last two people. He called me up and said, you're a really good student. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. That's cool. But if you hang out with people who are successful, they yeah. think different. One of my friends says they think with more zeros after the, the mm. sums of money they want in their life, you know. Yeah. And, and the way they think, what they read, where they eat, how they hang out, what they talk about, what, you know, all that is learnable. And so... Long before I could afford it, I would always upgrade with miles to business class, you know, use my miles for that rather than getting a free vacation to Hawaii so I could sit next to people. And I remember once I'm sitting on the plane coming back from New York and the guy next to me, we start talking. It turns out he's the guy that sells the advertising. Let's say you get a visa bill and you open it up. And there's a little flap in there where you can rip it off and it's selling you something. You know, like you can subscribe to a magazine or something. So we talked about that. And he liked me so much in what I was doing. He gave me a real good deal to put our stuff about our books, Chicken Soup, in the visa bills. So nice. if I hadn't been in business right. class, I wouldn't have had that conversation. Wow. So there's, true. There's a guy, I wrote about it in the Success Principles book, the first book. He was a, he was one of the top salespeople for insurance. And he thought that it was the other guy who was even better. So he called up the guy and says, next time you take a trip, could I buy the seat next to you? 
if you're flying from New York to Cleveland or whatever, and just ask you questions. And the guy said, that's the most interesting proposal I've ever gotten. So yes. <laughs> and so he did the same thing. Yeah. It's like, you know, when you're with people like that, yeah. ask questions. People yeah. love to share. 99% of the people will share with you how they got where they are. Yeah. That's so funny how that works, right? Yeah. Um, my friend Jim Quick said that most people are tuned into their favorite station is WIIFM, what's in it for me. Right. And also we're kind of tuned into our own world, you know, our own ego. So right. people want to talk about themselves. They want to share. Yes. You know, it's just giving people the opportunity. So often when we're yes. trying to connect with somebody, we're trying to tell them how important we are instead of allowing them to yeah. talk and to share, yeah. you know, what they have to share. So. When yeah. I got inducted into the uh, the uh, Speakers Hall of Fame, I, there was a cocktail party at the National Speakers Association, and I was allowed to go to that because it was these guys who were. So I go there and I meet this guy. He's the youngest bank president ever in the history of the banking world, and um, Summers White's his name. And I walk in, and he walks up to me and he says, "You're Jack." I said, "Yeah." And he started interviewing me. So the whole cocktail party is the only guy I ever talked to. And all he did was interview me. Mm. What about this? And how'd you do that? And we did that. I went, I got off out of there. I called my wife. I said, I just met the most interesting man I've ever met. And she said, well, tell me about him. <laughs> I said, I can't. <laughs> and what I realized, I thought he was interesting because he was interested in me. Yeah. And I'm yeah. still here, you know, 10 years later talking about him. That's crazy. Because he asked me questions. And I got to, uh, now I love the guy because he was interested in me. Wow, yeah. so awesome, so powerful. I hope everybody really gets that. That's so powerful. So something really cool. This is one of the coolest things in the book from my perspective. And, and prior to me reading this, this is something that I would talk about because we tend to be so focused on all the bad things that have happened in our lives. Mm -hmm. We tend to be so focused on the troubles we're experiencing. And our brains, right. you know, we've kind of evolved. We got these kind of primitive parts of our brain, you know, amygdala. And it can hijack things, and it's kind of, you know, we're looking for problems. Sure. But in the book, one of the principles is to acknowledge your positive past. Yes. Talk about why you put that there. Well, I think, I, use, I teach something called the poker chip theory of self-esteem. And the idea of poker chips is if you and I were playing poker, and I have 100 chips and you have 10, you'd probably play more cautiously. Mm -hmm. You lose two bets of five, you're out of the game. Mm -hmm. I lose two bets of five, I got 90 left. So I can throw it on five, no big deal. So if I can build up your stack of chips... You're more willing to risk because you now have extra chips. So the same is true with self-esteem. The more self-esteem and the more self-confidence, the more self-concept you have, the more willing you are to risk rejection because you know you're okay. Mm -hmm. And so basically, um, it's important to look at your past and realize you've had a lot of successes. Most people, if, you, if I said write down 10 great successes, most people go, God, have I had 10 great successes? But I said, how about getting a driver's license? You go... Oh, yeah, when I was 16, that was huge. Now it doesn't seem so big. How about graduating high school? For a lot of kids, that was like, hey, man, I'm lucky I got out of there. You know, the fact that you survived the war in Vietnam or the war in Iraq now or the war in Afghanistan to be more current. So the reality is that we all have numerous successes that yeah. we don't really acknowledge, and yeah. we tend to focus on what's wrong with us rather than what's right with us. And you know from your research with brain that basically when I have an, an event and there's an emotional negative component to that event, it logs in as a way to protect me from having that in the future. So basically, I much more quickly remember my negative experiences than my positive experiences. And so what we want to do is I do things like write down 100 successes you've had in your life. And people have to strain like, well, 
they end up with stuff like past Mrs. Jones's biology class, past mm -hmm. fourth grade, past fifth grade, past sixth yeah. grade. But then they start to realize, you know, I bought that first car, I bought that first this, I, I you know, put on that really good party for my boss, I put together that trip to the Andes for my friends, you know. And we have many, many more successes than we do failures. We just tend to focus on the failures. So we, it's, it's a way to get people to shift their focus to the positive things that, that they have had and to be grateful for them yeah. and to honor them. And even when negative things do happen, we've made it through, you know, if you're hearing you this have, right now. You have. I, I like to say in one of my books, you've survived everything that ever happened to you. Mm. So think about that. You've survived yeah. everything that ever happened to you, which gives you a lot of sense that I'm going to survive the next things that happen to me, yeah. you know, because I, I'm a survivor. So, yeah, absolutely. So you also have a, a principle to keep your eye on the prize. And as soon as I read this, I immediately thought of Martin Luther King. Yes. And then I remember hearing a story about you were actually a part of civil rights movement and going to church. It was Jesse, Jesse Jackson's Jackson. church in Chicago, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My friend who got me to go to that uh, workshop I mentioned earlier where I met the, the head of the Center for Human Potential, uh, he was also very involved in something called Operation Breadbasket, which was Jesse Jackson's idea. He said, if the white man's not going to lift you up, you got to lift yourself up. He called it Operation Bootstrap. Just grab your own boots and lift yourself up. And um, so he took me to Jesse's church. I spent a year going to Jesse Jackson's church, which was way cool because all these celebrities would come through Chicago. Mm -hmm. Sidney Poitier stepped on my foot. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Bill Cosby got his problems now, but back when he was a big deal with a comedian, I mean, I, he stood next to me on the side because we both got there late to church. And when you're 22 or three, that's a big freaking Absolutely, deal, you know. Yeah. And I learned a lot from Jesse about how to work a group. You know, Jesse would be up there and he'd be talking, and all of a sudden he'd go like this, and the band would start to play. You know, and I said, oh, that's cool. I want to learn how to do that. That's you powerful. Know? And he's the one that taught me to work with big groups. You know, most therapists, which is what I was trained to be after I was a high school teacher, you got 30 kids in a class or 20 people in a group. I wanted to work with hundreds and thousands of people. It's a whole different game to, to control and manipulate and move that kind of energy like a Tony Robbins can do, like I can do, and so forth. Um, but yeah, I taught in the inner city schools for a couple of years. I was teaching when Martin Luther King was killed. We had a riot in my school. Um, I literally saved a kid from being killed. Firemen came in and this big six foot three basketball player ran into the back of me, turned around with those axes, you know, that has point mm -hmm. like this. And he was going to do that to the kid. And I don't know why I, I got the strength to do it, but I just grabbed this axe from behind him. And I turned, he turned around to me and I said, you really don't want to do that. And he mm -hmm. went, you're right. You know, so I've been through, I, I marched in Chicago with King. I marched uh, at the Democratic Convention where they beat up all the hippies, quote unquote. You know, I was always involved in wanting to empower people who weren't empowered. Yeah. So in that context, keep your eye on the prize. Yes. How does that apply in our individual lives? Well, what it means is once you have a goal, don't give up. Focus on it. You know, in other words, do the affirmations, do the visualization, create a vision board, Act as if it's possible. Tell people it's a done deal. Um, put it on your website. You know, I have a list of 134 goals I want to accomplish in my life. It's on my website. Everybody can read it. And when they do, Kenny Rogers, who I wanted to meet, it's on my website and the list. He calls me up and says, I hear I'm on your website. You want to meet me? I said, I do. He said, well, I want to meet you. I said, why? He said, I said, I want to meet you because you're a singer. And he wanted to meet me because I was a writer. He wanted to write a best-selling book. So he invited me to Vegas, come backstage with him. The Righteous Brothers and a bunch of other Come singers on. were there. I got to, I mean, how cool is that? I wanted to go to the CMA Awards. 
I get an email. Hi, I'm the director of the CMA Awards, Country Music Awards. I love yeah. country music. And, um, you know, if you want to come to New York, I can get you backstage, you know. So let people know what you want to do. Often people will come forward and want to help you do it. So never feel like it's a bad thing to put it out there. But every day, like one of the things I learned in India is pretty esoteric, but the point was one guy was saying you create a white frame above your right eye. So it's a white frame out here and you visualize your goal is already achieved every day while you're pressing right here on this finger. This activates clarity of what you want. And then if you want, if you're having trouble getting the image, you can tap right here as you hold that. And there's a mantra, which I won't try to teach people, but the, the mantra is an accelerator, but it's not required. Just an affirmation, like I'm so happy and grateful I now have a million dollar year income. So happy and grateful my book has just sold a million copies of the Success Principles Workbook. I'm so happy and grateful that I am, you know, totally healthy and cancer free, whatever you might want to say. That principle of keeping your eye on the prize, if you have a vision board with your goals on it, if you're visualizing it every night before you go to bed and every morning when you wake up, uh, those are the things you want to do. Like I have a door, it's a whole door. My vision board's a door, the inside door of my office. All the things I want to accomplish are on that door. I never go out that door without stopping for a moment and looking at each of those things and imagining I already have it. When I get it, I take it off. Mm -hmm. Then I put something new up there. So it's, it's, it's magical. But you, there's so much trying to distract you. You know, think about all the social media you get, all of the ads that you don't want to look at, all of the, you know, thank God for fast forward on the, the Devo or whatever you call it. You know? <laughs> it's, a, it's an entirely different landscape. And that's why I was so interested to talk to you because you've seen these different generations yes. that are still, we still all want the same things. Yes. But the landscape of how to get those things is so yes. changed for the yes. better and for the not so better. You know, there's more distraction. Yeah. But there's also more opportunity. More opportunity. I always say if the internet had been around when I was in my 20s, I'd be a lot wealthier sooner. Yeah. You know, because yeah, no we doubt. had to go out and do book signings at a hundred bookstores in order yeah. to market a book. And now because of the internet, I can come to you and reach a million people talking yeah. about the book. So it's possible. I always tell people if you're an author, you're probably not going to be an overnight success. It's going to take some work. It took me a lot of years to get to where I am. But it's like the airplane taking off it doesn't take off right away. It's building up speed, and then all of a sudden it goes like this, and then all of a sudden it goes to 35,000 feet, and now there's a lot less drag. It's much easier. So don't freak out when you're still getting speed on the runway. Eventually it'll take off. And today with all the multipliers there are with social media and the internet and mastermind groups and tribes and all this kind of stuff, it is definitely much more possible to get there faster. Jack, in the book and in the workbook, you cover some other sections on building wealth. You cover sections on, because you can't do this stuff by ourselves on building a team. Yeah, you have to have so a mastermind group, an accountability partner, a team of people that you work with that support you. I know you're a member of probably more than one mastermind group. You mentioned yeah. one of them to me earlier today, and I'm a member of three. So it's, um, and I have 12 staff who are totally devoted, not just to me, but to the work. Yeah. And um, partnering up, I love that there's, uh, you know, we always say, it, it's you can get there faster if you work with a master and you can get there faster if you have a team there's a wonderful african proverb that says if you want to go fast go alone if you want to go far travel together oh, i love it that's a that's a good place to wrap right there because for me and having the opportunity to now meet you and to go through the book 
I'm telling you, you you're literally just dripping gems everywhere. <laughs> like everything that you say is just amazing. I, so many times while you were talking, telling stories, like I mentioned on our break here, I was just riveted. You know, I forgot everything else that I wanted to talk about, uh, and I'm just listening to the stories. It's it's really you. profound. This is why chicken soup for the soul. You know, it's just so yeah. so remarkable. But also just your life experience, the things that you've done and accomplished. You shared with me before the show all the different places that you've lived, yeah. and it's just a wonderful tapestry. And I'm just excited to see what you do next. I'm grateful to have a little part in this uh, new book, and I want to make sure everybody picks it up. So can you let everybody know where they can go and grab their copy of the Success Principles Workbook? Sure. You can go to Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. Most of the big bookstores will have it in your local area. If you, if you go there, uh, you can go to our website and order it through Amazon, and I'm going to do a free seminar uh, probably a couple of them over the next couple of months for people where we're going to teach a master class where we're going to talk about not so much the stories I've been telling, but going through the techniques with people so they can actually experience some of those things. Uh, just go to jackcamfield.com. And uh, we, we have so many online courses and things we're doing. But my, my biggest thrill right now is training trainers. And so if you're interested in learning how to teach other people to be empowered, please go to jackcampfield.com and, and learn about that. You'll, you'll, you'll become part of the Campfield family, and it's, it's an awesome tribe. Perfect. Yes, absolutely. And Jack, again, thank you so much for uh, putting your life experience into these books for us. And um, just it's true pleasure to hang out with you. So thanks for thank coming. Thank you. I feel by. the same way with you. So thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning into the show today. I think a good place to kind of summarize everything is the story he shared about Kenny Rogers. Most people, when they see me, they wouldn't think that I grew up on Kenny Rogers, but I did, right? <laughs> Kenny Rogers, Dolly Parton duet. Come on now. My I grandma would play this. Yes. Ah, <laughs> it's in my blood. It's in my blood. But he also shared the scenario about the poker and Kenny Rogers is the gambler. All right. Yeah. So when he was talking, I was just clicking these things together. But what it really boils down to is aligning ourselves with people who can further your career, further your self-development, further your health. That's what it's really about. And it's so beautiful that he put a focus on that in the workbook of creating a team. And for a lot of us, we might think, well, I don't have the capacity. I don't know who to talk to. I don't have the money. I don't have the resources. And we start, boom, we start coming with the excuses. And that's one of the first things we highlight in how our excuses block us from success. I promise, I guarantee you, no matter where you are in your life right now, there are people that you can bring into your world, that you can align yourself with, that can help to help you to achieve any and every goal that you have for yourself. The first part is, of course, having the audacity to have the goals that you actually really want, and then putting these things into play. And having a great workbook like Jack put together is a great manual to help you to get to where you want to be. So I appreciate you so much for tuning into the show today. Make sure you pick up a copy right now of the Success Principles Workbook available. Even if you didn't read the New York Times bestseller, over a million copies sold, original success principles. There's a good summation of everything here in the book, but why not get both, all right? But most importantly, like Jack talked about, read a little less, do a little bit more, all right? We don't wanna just walk around being human filing cabinets. We wanna do something with this work, all right? And uh, if you got a lot of value out of this episode, make sure to share this out on social media. You can tag me, I'm at Sean Model. And Jack, you're on Instagram? Are you on Instagram? Yeah. What's your Instagram handle? At Jack Canfield, I think. At Jack Canfield, he thinks. <laughs> Try it out. You'll probably find him. He's on Facebook as well. It'll be Jack Canfield on yeah. Facebook, too. Yeah. So you can tag him there, too. And just let us know what you thought about the episode. And we've got some epic shows coming your way very soon, so make sure to stay tuned. Take care. Have an amazing day. And I'll talk with you soon.
And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.